for a few weeks in early spring, the only sounds that I heard were those of songbirds and sirens. The country battled to protect the NHS, save the lives of people struggling to breathe. The world was being forced to stop, pause and let the planet draw a collective breath. I'm Ros Miller, a mid-career medic who found herself disillusioned about healthcare in the UK long before the lockdown of 2020. Songbirds and Sirens is for anyone interested in the biggest challenges medics face today. How to practice the basic tenets of being a good doctor, simply caring for people safely, while simultaneously delivering the latest medical advances in a world of rapidly changing technology and instant gratification. From the highlands of Scotland to the hidden doors of Harley Street, I have found two consistent things. One, medics don't wake up in the morning thinking, today I'm going to do a bad job. Exactly the opposite, we want to help people, to have the time to care for our patients and to do our very best for them. And number two, patients, regardless of whether they are down and out or a dame, all crave exactly the same things, to be seen, to be heard, and to know that for a moment in time, at least someone cares. Songbirds and Sirens is the start of a conversation society needs to have with itself. For me, it's the chance to catch up with colleagues and some friends to find out how the last few months have changed their perspectives and influenced their values. In this first episode with Liz Ashley, we discuss what life was like for her as a consultant anaesthetist in London when COVID-19 hit, the impact it had both on the NHS and the private sector, and the things that she did to keep her sanity. Essentially, what I was just wanting to do was to kind of capture where we are now um, from a variety of different people and then kind of revisit in um, six months and 12 months to see what uh, what has happened, um, if our lives are the same as we want them to be and if we're going in a direction that we, that is um, better for us and for the planet. So that's kind of just where I'm at. Um, so really okay. kind of informal. Um, and, and also just to see where where everybody thinks this is potentially an opportunity to change for, for the for the better as opposed to us going I mean my, one of my fears is that we just go back to what we did before and there's no it's an opportunity that's missed if you see what I mean. Um so if we just start if you just kind of spend a couple of minutes just telling me um who you are, how you've got to where you are, um and what you're what you were kind of currently doing in life pre-COVID. Okay, um, well, my name is Liz Ashley. I'm a consultant anaesthetist. Um, I studied medicine in, in Birmingham and qualified in 1989. I then went on to do some paediatrics and then um, some anaesthetics. Uh, I did part of my anaesthetic training in Adelaide, Australia, and then came back to um, a senior registrar in London, um, uh, um, a research registrar job actually at the Middlesex in London and then on to a senior registrar job around the St George's rotation. I was initially appointed as a consultant um, in paediatric anaesthesia and cardiac anaesthesia, which was how jobs were in those days. You did a bit of everything um, in 1998 at King's College Hospital. And then I went, I moved on to uh, the Middlesex Hospital in 2001. Um, Soon after September the 11th, um, 2001, we moved to the Heart Hospital and um, um, my job was 
predominantly at the heart hospital doing cardiac and thoracic anesthesia and cardiac ITU. So my job quite evolved quite quickly, really, um, to become specialised in cardiac anesthesia. And we had um, 14 very happy years in the heart hospital. It's in a very nice area of London. Um, we were very independent. We had a really good team and we got on well. And it worked very well the, med the Middlesex cardiac results went from about the bottom of the country the league table in the country to probably um, the uh, towards the top and um, it, it was a very happy time and then in 2015 we unfortunately had to merge with um, Barts and the London chest and so um, at a super um, centre basically in a PFI that was supposed to be for cancer and then they couldn't fill it with cancer so they decided to put cardiac in it so we had to then um, uh, merge with three other departments in a less sort of convenient area of town for where we all lived and that went on to um, a merger with a, 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 another group of um, intensivists from um, the Royal Brompton Hospital the following year so basically now I'm working in a super cardiac centre um, which has about 50 consultant anaesthetists and intensivists, 10 cardiac cath labs, 10 operating theatres, and at normal capacity, 64 ITU beds. So it's gone from being working in a lovely boutique um, hospital in a lovely area of town to working in this sort of massive cardiac factory in a way. So my life's changed quite a lot over my consultant career, which has now spanned 22 years, I suppose. At the same time, I've developed quite a um, varied private practice. I've kept up some orthopaedics, as you know. I do cardiac, I do cardiology, I do some vascular surgery. And I've got very good relationships with surgeons that I don't necessarily work within the NHS and work in different hospitals around London, which I particularly enjoy. I get the perspective of work in different centres and I don't, it's just not, I'm just not, I don't have to be in bed with my surgeons in the NHS, which is an advantage, I think, in private practice. So um, I'm a member of a group called W1 Anesthesia, which is quite a, um, a like a chambers um, uh, in, with offices in Queen Anne Street, just off Harley Street, um, with um, 10 other anaesthetists, again, from different trusts around um, London. So we're we're a mixed group with different um, areas of specialist interest, so we can cover most of the private hospitals and most of the specialties in London. So that's another aspect of my life, really. Um, that's career. I have to say, as soon as the COVID crisis um, started, um, hit really, uh, there was quite a lot of, um, well, almost blind panic at work. They made me go from a, a part-time sort of 9-12 up to a 12-12 job. So my job in the last um, three months has been very different. I've spent a lot more time in the NHS, partly because the private sector has been completely decimated by powers that be, but also because we were put on the road to um, a seven-day working pattern with um, nights, days, much more on call, etc. Um, um, otherwise, I live in um, in a um, Edwardian house, big four-story Edwardian house in Chiswick, which I'm really proud of. Done quite extensive work on that. I think I've been a bit like Sarah Beanie in my life. I've moved up through the property ladder and usually doing things up and um, uh, and, and selling them at a profit and moving on because that's probably really one of my major interests. Perhaps if I hadn't done medicine, I should have done 
architectural interior design or something like that, which I'd be much more interested in. So that's been a big hobby. Um, they wrote an article about me in the Evening Standard once, and it said she farrowed and pulled that one and moved on, which was rather light. Always <laughs> 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 said they wouldn't mind being farrow and bald by me, but anyway. Um, so that was so that's that. Um, so I spend a lot more in a way because I don't aren't doing any private practice. I've actually managed to spend a lot more time at home, and I've really cleaned my house from top to bottom. I've cleared every single cupboard out. I've really, I'm also quite interested in clothes and I've edited my wardrobe and um, I've done, I've got really more, much more interest in my garden and I've been, normally I've got a gardener and I've been doing my garden myself, which has been interesting. And so actually it's been quite an interesting time. I don't think I've lived in this house for um, nine, um, 11 years now. We bought it in 2009. And um, I don't think I've ever spent so much time here and actually appreciated it, which has been quite interesting, actually. And um, I'm surprised how much I've enjoyed domestic duties. <laughs> so that's that, really. Um, so I've made the best of it. I've been doing, I've got a gym set up in my lounge. If you, I think you can see it's, I'm in the lounge now and there's, I've got weights and a Swiss ball and a yoga mat and some diner bands. So I've been doing a bit of that and I've, I live near the river, so I've been going for a run down the river. So I've managed to adapt, actually. I think it's partly because I'm an only child and I've been used to entertaining myself all my life. So I, I'm, I can do it quite easily. And I'm actually surprised how much I've enjoyed that and, and think, well, retirement's not such a grim prospect as I thought it would be. Um, so that's been quite interesting, actually, that I can, I can manage doing whatever. Um, although, and I've also realised how hard I used to work because I used to leave the house at six thirty in the morning and often not get back till um, you know nine thirty ten at night, and that was sometimes six days a week, which was you know damn, which is crazy in a way because I was working to pay the tax man, and perhaps perhaps we'll, I'll readdress that after this and realise I do quite enjoy home and I'm, I'm getting a bit older and there's more to life. Yeah, I mean, certainly when we when we first met a couple of years back, um, you you definitely struck me as one of the hardest working people that I um that I've come across. Um, and um, the so to touch on probably the the private sector at the moment because again that that's how we met. Um, but it seems as if everything has just stopped. I mean, I know a lot of elective stuff stopped in the NHS, but you know, the, a whole sector of healthcare is now essentially non-existent. Um, what do you think is? Um, I, I mean, you must have been one of the one of you're certainly one of a few number of females that are in Harley Street and doing a level of private practice. Um, it's um, something that women tend not to drift into, which we've discussed in the past that I think is a bit of a problem. So where do you think the private practice um, and the and private healthcare could change from the opportunity that it has at the moment to pause and reset, particularly um, in attracting different types of people into it and and maybe if you can reflect on some of the challenges that you might have had along the way with uh, some of the the people that you've worked with in the past um i think at the moment it's quite a junction for private practice i I, you do wonder whether it'll actually return to its previous um form um at the moment i think there's something slightly sinister going on the nhs have um requisitioned all the private hospitals and some are working and doing nhs urgent cancer work 
um, but others um, have been completely shut down, basically. There's very little going on at some of the more independent private hospitals, whereas the HCA group and um, the BUPA group have seemed to be doing the majority of the NHS work, which is slightly disturbing, um, and I'm not sure really how that's happened. I also think that the private hospitals um, are, are desperate to impress the NHS, and you wonder whether the private hospitals will now, from now on, do... Um, a lot more NHS contract work and perhaps private practice will be in a way squeezed out. Um, also, I think this NHS, the NHS hubs, this sort of new word called hubs has appeared, which is um, something driving me slightly mad, but um, everything now has to go through the NHS hub and we don't quite know who the people are running these hubs who, can, who dictate whether you can or can't do any surgery. And I think one thing I've found is, you know, I have been at home in my garden and so have lots of the surgeons I know, and there's capacity within the hospitals. So it's all been very controlling and you wonder what the agenda is uh, beneath that and whether the, there's, you know, there's, there's a move to actually um, close down the private sector. Uh, at the moment, if you've got Bupa insurance, for instance, and you wanted to go and have your operation done privately, there's no real choice um, available to do that because the NHS hub is controlling everything and saying whether or, whether your um, operation is, is 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 urgent enough to do and I find that quite disturbing and something that you know is very not British and um, and, and and not in the spirit of the way we've worked previously. So going ahead, I don't know what will happen really. I think it's also really difficult for the hospitals because of the. Um, uh, are trying to remain as COVID-free as possible, which I think is going to be difficult. So there's masses of precautions and infection control procedures you have to take when you're just doing a routine surgery on somebody that's tested um, COVID negative. Um, so it's making the list very slow and laborious and the whole thing's generally much less um, enjoyable than it was prior to COVID. Um, from a point of view of private practice, I think it's from my career. It's definitely the three, um, the three A's: availability, affability, and ability. Um, I think you do have to put yourself out for your surgeon, be available, because you've got to realise that you know the poor surgeons are in a bit of a predicament. If they suddenly have an emergency in the night, they need to get somebody to get out of bed and help them and I think the reason I've got on is because I was already always willing to turn up at you know Sunday mornings Friday nights wherever and um I've throughout my career I've done that and um and, and put myself out you know I'm not one of these anesthetists that will only do a list on a Tuesday morning so I think um that's uh um helped me and I also think I've I realized I think some anesthetists are quite um, can be quite arrogant in their own way, but I think I've always appreciated, especially doing cardiac surgery, that generally, um, you know, they've almost got, they're in the spotlight, their their figures are on a website with their performance and their results, and I think that's really hard for them, and I think as, as an anaesthetist, you can actually be very supportive of the surgeons and, um, you know, be a member of the team and, and and then in the end they appreciate that you worry about them and care about them so I think probably that's my um, success in um, anesthesia um, I'm sure there's I think sometimes women are the worst that women aren't very good colleagues and their own worst enemies and I think some people 
may say that I ingratiate myself specifically to the male surgeons. I don't think I could be accused of doing that with you, Ross, but I know um, I think that's something that perhaps some of the other women say about me. I probably, I'm probably in a way much more of a man's woman, so I don't particularly worry about that. And I'm also used to being quite independent throughout my life because I always have to have, have done things on my own, but um I don't think you generally get that much support from women and I think you people can be quite jealous of you um, and you have to be quite watch your back sometimes because you you know people you, you do feel people might make complaints about you or whatever because they are jealous and um, but they don't realize it's probably because you put the extra mile in and that's what people don't get I think I think in anybody in any walk of life if they're successful and they They've worked, generally work for it and, and it's generally hard graft, whether you're the CEO of Glaxo or you're the, you know, you're, you're a very successful cardiac surgeon or whatever. I think, I think it's generally the same in whatever profession you're in. You, you've got to put the, the work in to get the results. In the next episode, we talk about the fun side of medicine and the challenges, particularly for women, of setting up in private practice. In a career that spans a decade as a consultant orthopaedic surgeon, working both in the National Health Service and the private sector, I've had the privilege of meeting and treating fascinating individuals from all walks of life, from single mums and factory workers to actors, business leaders and politicians, with the occasional lord and lady along the way. This moment in time has brought fear, but also hope, and most importantly, an intense desire for change. It's up to society, not politicians, not governing bodies and not the media to decide what our collective future should be. You can follow Songbirds and Sirens via Facebook, Twitter or on Instagram. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode. If you would like to find out more or if you would like to contribute to the conversation, please get in touch. Music